0: Welcome to Streaming Into the Void, where we discuss all the streaming news for the week ending April 29th, 2023. This week, the podcast learns what TikTok is. I'm Kim Hollis, who has almost survived draft week. With me are Tim Brighty, content creator and gamer, now offering an ad-free tier. Thanks, Tim.
1: This introduction brought to you by Jerry Dewey on Amazon Freebie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Also, David Mumpower, author of Disney Demystified, streaming media analyst, and bitterly missing the NFL draft for this. David, what, huh, what? (laughs) (laughs) And the podcast is produced and edited by Raul Buriel, who's counting down the minutes to the writer's strike. Good luck with the podcast next week, suckers. In our rapid fire this week, it's that time again where we talk about the death of cable and what will replace it. Raul, what's the latest?
2: Traditional carriers like Comcast, Charter, and Verizon reported their quarterly earnings this week, and the numbers continue to show an acceleration in subscriber decline.
3: And just to be clear, when we say acceleration and decline, what we mean is lots more people canceling. Cable television isn't dying slow. It is bleeding fast right now.
2: That's right. Cord cutting is killing these companies, or maybe it's not, and we'll get to that in a second. But the big question here is, Where are these consumers going with streaming alternatives like YouTube TV and Hulu Plus Live increasing in price? Cutting the cord to switch to one of these services is less and less appealing. So, what's happening, I believe, is that a lot of these people are simply migrating to these fast or free ad supported streaming services because it's free. But what you need to understand, of course, is you still need internet access. And that's ultimately, I think, where Comcast, Charter, Verizon, Cox, and these other companies are going to make their money. What's different here is that we now find ourselves in a place where these companies don't have a monopoly. If you're looking for internet access, you have options. Not only your cable company and your phone company, and now even your mobile company is offering you internet to the home, which is essentially, if not reducing the cost of this internet service, it is at least slowing the increase in price.
3: Yeah. And that's the thing, Raul. I mean, these corporations, they're seeing, you know, these black holes on their spreadsheets. And when you've got a balance sheet lacking revenue, you kind of start looking around for ideas. The cable the subscribers, they're not coming back. So what I worry about when you talk about how they have a main business, which is internet sells, how are they going to get more money? And it just seems to me everyone who has internet right now is the people who need internet right now. That's not like an audience is going to expand dramatically. So doesn't it seem to you like the next step is going to be significant increases in prices steady over time?
2: Yeah, that's one of the two only options available to these companies. One is, yes, increase the price over time. The other one is to try to lure away subscribers from your competitor. And unfortunately, the for them, The only way to make that happen is to reduce prices. So there's pressure in both directions here. And you are
3: not exaggerating here because when Kim and I signed up for internet in our new home, we had to guarantee to pay for a year, which was going to cost us, I I think it was going to be like $600 for the year. They gave us $400 in gift cards to guarantee that we would give them $600 in business for a year. Kim and I are just laughing about it. Like, how is this a profitable business model for everyone? But their belief is people won't actually shop around and switch after a year. They're kind of betting on the fact that consumers will stagnate with their behavior. I don't know how many people are actually going to do that if you keep raising prices. One of the things we've noticed with cell service over time customers do have price sensitivity. And this may seem like an arcane topic for streaming into the void. But at the end of the day, without internet, you're not streaming anything. So this is like the underlying meta story for all of it.
2: Yeah. And if you want to lure that customer away, a couple of the things you have to do is you have to make the price appealing, but you also have to make your service appealing. And so one of the things that's dragging down the bottom lines of some of these companies, chiefly Verizon, is the cost of building out their Network Verizon has been upgrading their network nationally to improve their service so that they can be more appealing to consumers at home because we all recognize Verizon and T-Mobile and other companies such as those as mobile phone companies, but they are now offering cell service to the home. And Verizon realizes that to compete with a company like Comcast, they need to have robust and reliable internet to the home, sell internet to the home. And so, yeah, that costs some money. Luring a customer over from a competitor costs them money. And at the same time, they can't increase their price or there'll be no reason for a consumer to to jump ship. It is a very challenging situation for these companies who honestly at this point have reached market saturation. And the only way, as David has pointed out, for them to increase their bottom line is either to increase their prices or steal consumers. And neither of those is really working out very well for them. But I do want to take this to Comcast's future. Comcast's future got kind of blown up on Sunday night with a bombshell that no one saw coming. On Sunday night, Comcast announced that they had fired the CEO of NBC Universal the studio that Comcast owns they had fired the CEO of NBC Universal Jeff Shell for cause because of inappropriate behavior with a woman this was shocking news to Hollywood and all the more so because Jeff Shell has been the person who has had to fire other people at NBC Universal in the past because of their inappropriate behavior you'd think at this point he would have known better
3: yeah it's even funnier than that because he had two very high-profile firings over people who had inappropriate relationships with women, including the Charlotte Kirk thing a few years ago that got so much media attention. And when he did the firings, he was like absolutely ruthless. And then after the fact, he talked all kinds of smack about them. And here's what's hysterical about that. He's married. He started this affair in 2012. 2012, which means he was seven or eight years into a marital affair when he was bad mouthing other people for their conduct. I mean, you got to admire the cojones on somebody who can do that.
2: <laughs> I don't want to minimize the reasons for why Jeff Shell was fired, but I think there is smarter people, more knowledgeable people who have talked about this at length. I'm trying to look at this from the aspect of streaming. And at first I really had a lot of trouble comprehending just what this meant for NBC Universal and, you know, their streaming service Peacock. As it turns out, it may have had a lot to do with Peacock, because while Jeff Shell was fired on Sunday night, this week was also the week that Comcast announced their quarterly earnings, as I mentioned earlier. And Are we uh, really
3: going to call it earnings for Peacock? Are we going to do that?
2: <laughs> well, there was good news and bad news. It's all a question of just how much Peacock wants to spend for each new subscriber, because Hey, hey
3: Raul is lying about the good news part, folks. <laughs>
2: Come on. Hey, they picked up 2 million more subscribers last quarter. I would argue a lot of that had to do with uh, shows like Poker Face. A lot of buzz, a lot of new subscribers. Good for them. They also lost...
3: They're up to 22 million! They're still nothing! Woo!
2: They also lost somewhere in the vicinity of $700 million last quarter, which, while shocking, is less than the $1 billion they lost the previous quarter.
3: So when we talk about how much they lost, the thing is they lost more than twice what they earned, and that is when, when you're running a business, you kind of wonder if you understand which number is bigger on the spreadsheet. <laughs> I mean, you know, if if you're making less than seven hundred million and losing more than seven hundred million, I would like to speak to you and talk to you about how accounting works.
2: It's not a good look for Peacock, and so then. What does this mean? Why would it be important that Jeff Shell was fired on Sunday night, just a couple of days before the quarterly earnings report was made? I had to mull this over and consider, does this mean that any deal making that might be happening at Comcast now is up in the air until new leadership is established? But that's not really the case. New leadership has been established. An executive at Comcast has been put in charge of NBC Universal. Everyone who used to answer to Jeff Shell now answers directly to executives at Comcast. What seems to be happening here is that Brian Roberts, who is the CEO of Comcast, is trying to reassert his leadership over NBC Universal. Not that he didn't always have it, he was always the biggest of the bosses, but he's also the deal maker. And if there are deals to be made for NBC Universal as to whether or not NBC Universal gets sold, or they buy something else, or they merge one thing with another thing, it's going to be Brian Roberts that makes those decisions. The reporting that's coming out suggests that Jeff Shell was maybe a hindrance to some of these deals. Apparently, in the last year, there have been discussions about potentially merging NBC Universal with both Paramount. And Electronic Arts. And in both cases, the executives at Paramount and Electronic Arts would have been in charge and Jeff Schell would have been the odd man out. And so Jeff Schell really rallied against these mergers. He's now out of the picture. And so the likelihood that NBCUniversal will be part of a giant deal in the coming months seems higher now that Jeff Shell is out of the picture.
3: Yeah, this is in some ways a convenience for Comcast. Shell was going to take the fall for Peacock at some point anyway. And as Raul said, he hadn't been delivering on his job the way you would expect someone like this to happen. However, he was very hard to fire for a reason that seems arcane, but it's not. NBC's Universal Studios property is absolutely crushing. Universal Pictures and the theme parks alike are destroying right now. Hey, isn't there a Universal Pictures film out there that's doing pretty well with the box office? What's that?
0: the only one that matters, really. It's Super Mario Brothers. Exactly.
3: So now we're in a situation where he looks good on paper, but he is a hindrance at his job. And there's a subplot here that's kind of interesting. The Roberts family has always controlled Comcast. If you look back at the history of the company, the Roberts family has always been the decision maker. Well, now there is a gentleman named Mike Cavanaugh, who's currently the president of the company. And he recently got this job title and he is not Going to be the CEO of NBC Universal. Instead, he is going to run NBC Universal from his position at Comcast. And you might be like, oh my God, that's a lot more work for him and not much to gain. It is strategic, though, because he's worried if he brings somebody for NBC Universal, they will start to look even better on paper because they won't be as much of a hindrance as Shell was, and they will become competition to become the next CEO of Comcast. So he is actually being just as territorial as we're accusing Shell of being, but for an understandable reason, because he could get the keys to the kingdom at Comcast, which, you know, there's maybe 12 kingdoms in the corporate world that matter, and God knows comcast is one of them so this is a fascinating situation all the way around and the ripple effect is there's not going to be anybody at nbc universal who will say boo against a merger with oh let's say Warner Brothers Discovery or a Hulu acquisition. They can now make that move without anybody providing resistance. And they can bring in people and say, hey, you can run this new thing because we don't even have a CEO at NBC Universal now.
2: I do have to say that Jeff Sheld was in a somewhat difficult situation when it came to streaming. He Operated as the boss of NBC Universal, a streaming service, Peacock, whose top executive, Brian Roberts, the CEO of Comcast, didn't necessarily want to have be a very successful streaming service. Comcast is a cable company that sells you television services. For a streaming service to be successful, you need people to cut the cord and switch over to that streaming service. But if you cut the cord, then you're hurting another branch of the company. You're hurting Comcast's cable television division. And so Jeff Shell needed to walk that fine line. Now, I'd say that he did some moves right, chief of which would be probably hiring Kelly Campbell to run Peacock. She's probably the best move that they've done at Peacock the whole time that the streaming service has existed. But now that it's not like we didn't know the writing was on the wall the whole time. But now that it's very obvious that television services at Comcast aren't going to be around much longer, I think Brian Roberts has finally decided okay, it's time to stop kneecapping Peacock and it's time for us to be really serious about streaming, which then takes us into the two potential options, I think, for NBC Universal and Peacock. One of which is do they get out of their partnership with. Disney on Hulu and in fact, buy Disney out of Hulu so that's Hulu becomes a fully owned subsidiary of NBC Universal, thus replacing the flagging Peacock streaming service with a successful streaming service, Hulu? Or do they sell off or spin off or in some other way, merge NBC Universal with Warner Brothers Discovery? I would argue that that second one is a harder sell because the Department of Justice right now is just not going to let it happen. But you never know in the next 12 to 18 months if maybe there's a shift in uh, popular opinion, but those are the two options that are presenting themselves to Comcast and NBC Universal right now. And I think with Jeff Shell out of the way, one or the other is going to happen sooner rather than later.
3: The other thing I'll add here, let's say that the current practices hold and Disney just writes Comcast a 10 billion dollar paycheck to become the sole owner of Hulu. That $10 billion then becomes, let's say, a 25% off coupon for Warner Brothers Discovery, which brings the grand total down, let's say it would cost $40 billion to buy them, brings their financial outtake to $30 billion, which is much more reasonable. Now, that is a lot of forecasting down the road, and it seems like lately these things always cost 25 to 30% more than anyone thinks. But Comcast is negotiating with the knowledge. It does have a $10 billion check in its back pocket, and if not, the reverse is true. It pays Disney $20 or $25 billion, and then it combines Hulu and Peacock into something that is probably just a superior product in the current Peacock. And we shouldn't lose sight of this. And I know that we, Tim, Raul, and I tease each other a lot about this. Shell would still be around or they would have replaced him with one of his lieutenants if they were genuinely happy with Peacock. What has just happened is an indictment because Peacock has been a least case scenario result for what it should be thus far.
0: Okay, Tim. Now, before we talk about the Nielsen ratings, which came in just under the wire, there's something else we want to be looking at?
1: Yeah. So look, on this podcast, we're old, all right? As much as we hate to admit it, we're old. I'm the youngest person here and I'm in my forties. So I don't think any of us use or even quite get TikTok, but I think it might be time to take the platform seriously, I, I guess as long as it's legal, because um, it <laughs> appears to be driving users to certain forms of media. For a couple of years now, it's actually had a noticeable impact on music. People make a video using the song either as a meme or the background music, and suddenly everyone starts streaming it on Spotify, which makes the radio start playing it and it becomes a huge hit out of nowhere. This has happened to multiple songs in the last few years. The Weeknd, having a number one hit in 2023, is not really news. The Weeknd, having a number one hit in 2023 with a song from an album he released in 2016, when he. He's released two entire albums since then. Yeah, that is the power of TikTok. And now it actually seems to be having effect on shows. I have spent the last two weeks talking to anyone who would listen about jury duty. And let's just say most of these people are a younger audience than than us. Many of them said they'd actually, they'd heard of it. And they, they'd they seen a preview or clip of it somewhere and thought it looked funny. And it's been wanting to watch it, especially after I I told them how, how great it was. But none of them said where it was. But I'm seeing articles online suggesting that it's actually... Apparently, been a huge success for freebie and it actually is because apparently of TikTok. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> It's getting promoted on TikTok and it's, apparently it's not even an advertising campaign. It is completely organic. People posted clips of the show and said, the show is amazing. You need to watch it. And they have apparently been blowing up and it's leading people to the show. And there's evidence that this is one of the best performing shows in freebies history. I mean, that's a low bar. Um, you know, I think their com- primary competition is apparently a show with Judge Judy, but it is apparently crushing it for them. So when you say
3: promoted, you, it promoted isn't really the word we've called this in the past. It's word of mouth, isn't it? It is, it like is yes. Oh so marketed this is, word of mouth. Yeah,
1: this is where word of mouth is coming from, especially to, I guess, Gen Z.
3: So basically, what's happening is people are seeing like little sixty to one hundred and twenty second clips of this, mm-hmm. and laughing their asses off because James Marsden is just humiliating himself on camera.
1: <laughs> yes, and then they're going back and watching full episodes of the series. Apparently, yeah. How do we weaponize this? Now? <laughs> I, I mean, like I said, it started with music, and now it might be happening with 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 shows too. Like this is the first show where I've had a definite effect because I mean I can't remember the last time I have gushed about a show to people and then people. I didn't expect to be like interested. They're like, oh yeah, I heard of it. And I'm like, wait, where, how, we, where is this being promoted? And I know for hundred percent they use TikTok. I think that's where they're seeing it.
3: So instead of these carefully cultivated YouTube mini trailers where they show like 10 seconds of footage, then mm-hmm. build hype for it. They should just show like a 45 second scene of dialogue. That's really, really entertaining
1: instead from now on. Yes, this might be the new marketing and, uh, and it will probably cost you next to nothing. <laughs>
3: Right, exactly. You've already filmed the footage. My God, this is brilliant.
1: I don't know the accuracy of this data, but something called Just Watched said that Dirty Duty was apparently one of the most watched shows of like, this past week, and it's competing with things like The Diplomat, The Mandalorian, Ted Lasso, Beef, which actually made we, we will see uh, ratings for in a, in a couple of weeks, Yellow Jackets. It is what for it is. I want hard numbers, and we will never see them because these companies will keep this stuff too close to the vest. But somehow, this is a certified hit.
3: Ted, do you realize what you're describing right now is
1: the Blair Witch Project? Apparently, yes, I know. I'm blown away that this is this show has apparently taken off way, way bigger than any of us expected. Oh my god, that's I thought amazing. this was just, I thought I Oh, this this is such a neat neat discovery. I, I think I just saw someone suggest it. I've tried to figure out how I even found it. I think I just saw someone actually suggest it on a, on a tweet saying, this show's funny. I'm like, wait, a show called Jury Duty is funny? And I look it up and I saw the concept I'm like, okay, I need to watch this right now. <laughs> so that, that's how it got me. But somehow it's literally gone viral. And I think this is a certified success and it's all because of freaking TikTok.
2: Yeah, this is again, and I think we've talked about it at length at this point, but it's a reflection of the blind spot that Nielsen has in the ratings because none of the streaming services will actually reveal real numbers about viewership. We have to deal with intangibles. There are services, Parrot Analytics is one that actually measures the buzz on social media for a show. It's an interesting data point, but it doesn't necessarily translate into success. And what we're seeing here is something very similar to that. We're seeing a lot of buzz for a show like Jury Duty on social media. Does that mean that in a few weeks we might see Jury Duty in the Nielsen's? That's difficult to answer because of the nature of Freevee, which on the one hand is its own streaming service, and on the other hand is a streaming service you could access through Prime Video. So that's a challenging thing to really grasp and something that maybe Nielsen hasn't really factored into their algorithm. We're seeing a lot of data like this. Every week, David, you send me the emails you get from these analytics firms telling me just how how much buzz or interest some of these shows have. And it doesn't mean anything to me.
3: Yes. We're very, very lucky to get media invite stuff that is proprietary data. They probably want out there some, but not completely to entice people to subscribe. And it's all fascinating. And yet we know there are blind spots everywhere, right?
2: Oh, yeah. We deal with press releases. Apple TV Plus is telling us now that Ghosted, the uh, Chris Evans, Anna the Armist movie, is their most watched show on their streaming service ever. But what does that mean when you can't really measure that? Will it show up in the Nielsen's in a couple of weeks when the only thing we've ever seen from Apple TV Plus and the Nielsen so far is Ted Lasso? I don't know. Coda won the Academy Award, and the week after that, we really expected to see it on, <laughs> on the Nielsen's, <laughs> and it never showed up.
3: The point here is we're just kind of, whenever somebody tells us about their metric, we're curious because, you know, we've actually talked about, you know, doing our own analytics at several points. And it is always useful to try and find new metrics that kind of lock down things that aren't being evaluated accurately. So we're always listening, but we also know most of it, I don't want to say it's bunk because that's dismissive of good work professionals are doing. But what it is, is it's not accurate enough to make a thing. And for all the criticism we have of Nielsen Ratings, it has been the best we could do for generations now, but we need something new. And so when we get these these messages from people, we're curious. I mean, we, we eat it up, but jury duty has just kind of blown our mind because it's like, oh, wait, this is the first sign of something new that we can actually track.
2: Yeah, bottom line is the Nielsen suck and... can you tell us about this week's Nielsen's? Uh, Yeah. Should we talk about the ratings
1: that we just got from Nielsen, our our favorite company?
2: Yeah. And for the curious, we usually get them on Thursday. If they're not in by Thursday afternoon, we start panicking and... They came in Friday morning and boy, was I relieved.
1: Yeah. So these are the Nielsen streaming ratings for Monday, March 27th to Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. So we flipped the calendar and stay tuned for that. We talked about it last week, how the top show was the night agent, and we were curious how it was going to do with the full week. I I was leaning towards it blowing up a little bit more. And even though you guys were down on it as the show progressed, but yeah, uh, a cool 3 billion minutes for the full week, 10 episodes. Damn. Yeah. That's what I figured.
2: Well, the good news is that the writer strike won't affect season two because they don't need writers on this show.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, this one got, did. I know you guys panned it through, towards the end. This one got the seal of approval from my parents. So I'm not surprised. Up to second is Love is Blind. It says no impact on the finale that is coming in a, in a few weeks that Netflix attempted to air live, but uh, 1.2 billion minutes as it added four more episodes of its latest season, now 51 total. So yeah, I'm not surprised that this show ha- has, has done well. It's done well in the past. It will always do well as long as they keep making it, even though it is a, a horror story behind the scenes, as we discussed last week. The Mandalorian in third, now 21 episodes, 878 million minutes. Ted Lasso from Apple TV+, Plus up to fourth, 570 million minutes, 25 episodes. It does occur to me, though, that Apple TV+, Plus shows, even though we keep making fun of them for only having the one show ever appear on the ratings, Ted Lasso, they probably have the biggest uphill battle because I would imagine the majority of Apple TV plus viewing is done on an Apple device and that's not measured on these ratings.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Watching Ted Lasso on an, on an iPhone may suck, but I suspect a lot of people watch it on an iPad as well. Yeah, I predict it's
1: it's mostly second screen viewing, which again, not, not effective, not counted in these ratings. So if you happen to have a TV with built-in Apple Plus, you're in the apparently you're, I'm going to guess you're in the minority. The other thing I'll
3: add here, just circling back to the jury duty discussion, we're talking about this with The Mandalorian and we're really talking about this with Ted Lasso, how much one particular show can make a difference to a streaming service and giving it an identity jury duty has just become for freebie what tad lasso has been for apple tv plus and that it is legitimately a reason to not only watch but figure out what the service is and the value of those is immeasurable
1: yeah i hope so if anyone asked where they could watch it i said oh it's free on amazon Because sometimes, you know, people go, oh, I don't have a subscription to Prime. Rola and I sort of discussed this before. Initially, I downloaded the freebie app on my phone to watch it. I also watched episodes on my computer, which then I realized I just went to Amazon and typed in basically search for jury duty and it came up. So it's like it's almost like wait is it are they two separate services is it the subsection of, of of Prime that's free with ads so I'm curious if this does have a tangible effect on on how these the service is is viewed or if Amazon promotes it differently if if they need to promote it at all at this point we do have something new in fifth emergency NYC 545 million minutes for eight episodes. This is a documentary series about New York City healthcare professionals. So basically real Grey's Anatomy? It seems like it, yes. It's a eight-episode documentary series that arrived on March 29th. So this is actually just not a full week of ratings, but it's most of the week, but I think it'll drop from here after the with the full seven days. All of the drama, none of the sex. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shadow and Bone slides to six, 519 million minutes for 16 episodes and two seasons something else new in seven unstable eight episodes 388 million minutes viewed this is that i forgot what this was till i went and double checked this is that rob Lowe comedy series with his son right
2: right i had to look it up as well and then i realized oh wait i watched this i'd forgotten
1: (laughs) forgot i i knew we talked about it i i don't know but you watched it and then forgot okay that's, oh, so it was very memorable then. This actually just arrived on the 30th. So this is just a three-day figure for it. So it might take a bit of a jump next week. We haven't heard it if it's been renewed for a second season yet, but um, that's, that's not bad. If they seem like, yeah, for, for actually for a half hour comedy, that's pretty good. Our uh, originals wraps up with shows we've seen before, two of which have been hanging out for a while now. U is 8th, 377 million minutes. Outer Banks in 9th, 358 million minutes. And Waco American Apocalypse, we saw that arrive last week, 337 million minutes for three episodes in 10th movies. We actually have a little bit of excitement this week after some ridiculous weeks of the movies that were at the hanging at the top of the chart, both of which are still here though, but it is led by Murder Mystery 2, uh, 1.1 million minutes and I'll go ahead and mention that in second is the original Murder Mystery, 423 million minutes. This is the Adam Sandler Jennifer Aniston comedies that he makes exclusive for, for Netflix. The first one came out in 2019 and was apparently a strong performer for them then, so a sequel was of course going to happen. That arrived on the 30th of March. So, just a three day number. And people had enough interest, I think, or I think we mentioned Netflix promoted the first one in to hype people up for the second one. So, not surprised that it's here, but it's a big difference in, in terms of, of viewership.
3: Yeah. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago to expect this. We had seen it coming. Uh, apparently, people were worried they'd forgotten key plot points from Murder Mystery and wanted to make sure they could keep up. But I mean, it's just charming. <laughs> you know, it's two very li- likable celebrities doing, you know, a Remington Steele heart to heart type thing. This format, the moonlighting format, always works when done well. It is simple popcorn cinema, which is exactly what we should have on Netflix movies. And you really have to hand it to Adam Sandler. He has created a very, very good relationship with Netflix, one that was ahead of its time, and that has had myriad benefits for both parties ever since then because, I mean, <laughs> 10 years into this deal, and he's still doing films that are doing this well on the charts. It's remarkable it felt like he got
1: mocked when when this deal was announced
3: oh sure everybody was like wow i guess he can't get a movie (laughs) anymore
1: his career is over wow he's going to netflix are these actually pretty good they these two i know he started out like the first movie or two he did for for them were just kind of in line with his goofball stuff but i've heard these are not terrible
3: i actually think this is the best of the netflix ones i've seen of his qb halloween's fine Mm. it's Posable fun. Murder mystery, very, very charming film. Again, I mean, you know, Jennifer Aniston. Is really really great at playing the straight person to someone who's funny. She made a career out of it with Friends. She did it with all the movies she was in, you know, especially the one that wasn't funny with Vince Vaughn. She somehow
1: (laughs) found. I mean, she's done it with Adam Sandler in multiple movies. So yeah,
3: exactly. She she's just a very good comedian and doesn't get enough credit for that. So these movies work for what they're supposed to do. And you know, let's be honest,
1: there's going to be an announcement on a murder mystery three soon. Oh, absolutely. I'm actually surprised they didn't didn't go ahead with and say it already considering they have a month's more data all right uh, after that though things pretty much fall off a cliff from the movies chart thank you Adam Sandler for giving us a, some light of hope in terms of the movies chart, but it's uh, yeah, it's a bunch of dregs from here. Uh, ICU, the winner last week, is in third, 367 million minutes. Moana from Disney Plus, 281 million minutes. Top Gun Maverick now curiously credited to Paramount Plus and Prime Video, 258 million minutes. I was looking to see when it actually arrived on Prime, and I could not find out. So I wonder if it actually did with last week's ratings, and that's why it suddenly showed up on the list. Puss in Boots: The Last Wish from Peacock in 685 million minutes. So yeah, these are not great numbers. The Stupid Dragged Across Concrete in 783 million minutes. Encanto, 178 million minutes. From Disney Plus in eighth. Ninth from Prime Video, nope, 167 million minutes. And because we can't flip the calendar without getting something else strange, in 10th is The Born Legacy, 156 million minutes. So, yeah, all the Borg films, the three Matt Damon ones, arrived back on Netflix on April 1st. So did this one. This one does not have Matt Damon on it. So, of course, that's the one people watch the most of. I actually did see this in the theater on a, uh, I believe it was a second date, and there was not a third date. (laughs) Um, Well, it was her loss, first of all.
3: (laughs) Second of all, I actually think there's an explanation for this one. Jeremy Renner was going to do his first interview after his accident and they started advertising it pretty far ahead of time and Mm -hmm. they were showing clips from the born legacy so i get this one more than you know the continued mystery of drag across (laughs) country
1: i was going to mention after my joke that yeah i wonder if just the fact that this one has jeremy renner actually made people you know select it if they if they saw it on, on netflix but yeah, there's there's actually some pretty impressive stuff that came back to Netflix on start of April, so I I'm, I'm curious if that will shake up the movies next week because this is this after the top 2, this is a very very sorry list. One thing we didn't mention in the in the news: things may not be looking good for for movies going forward on streaming. We'd we'll love to dive into that at some point in the future. Acquired is ten shows we have seen before, once again led by Coco Melon. So all is right with the world again. Twenty one episodes, eight hundred ten million minutes. Sorry, parents, but Bluey right behind it in second, seven hundred sixty seven million minutes. I have no idea what the hell is going on there. Why this show has suddenly been coming up with incredibly strong numbers after we would only see it intermittently for a
0: while? Was it Spring Break Week?
1: Yes. Break. Okay. Well, how many weeks gonna be spring break? Uh, there's
3: like four different ones. I, uh, yeah, it comes up.
1: Depends where you live. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I guess. Yeah. Four HBO Max shows. Probably need to mention that more. We actually have the return of Succession as well. Four hundred eighty million minutes in eighth because that new season began this week too. Most of the usual suspects, South Park, which won the chart last week, 737 million minutes in third, NCIS, Grey's Anatomy, Supernatural, Big Bang Theory, Succession, Friends, and Walking Dead. So yeah, I was impressed with the bump the night agent got. I'm curious how to, to see now how how it holds and see what Murder Mystery 2 does with the full week. But it, it doesn't look like too much exciting stuff is coming along the horizon over the next couple weeks. So time for some stupid movies like, you know, Direct Across Concrete and ICU, it's your time to shine again. That's pretty much all I have to say about the ratings.
0: Thanks, Tim. In our green lights and cancellations this week, the Netflix animated series Big Mouth beat the odds as it was renewed for an eighth season, but it will also be its last. The spinoff series Human Resources will end after season two.
2: I would ask if maybe the concept had run its course, but South Park has how many seasons Mm -hmm. and it's
0: still going? Yep. Hmm. At Apple TV Plus, the drama Truth Be Told, starring Octavia Spencer as a true crime podcaster, is over after three seasons.
2: I remember it took us three seasons to realize the show existed. She plays a true crime podcaster whose name is Poppy. Oh,
0: And Amazon continues to mine its MGM back catalog, announcing that they plan to reboot The Magnificent Seven as a series.
2: Yeah, this is not the first time The Magnificent Seven got turned into a series. It was a series on CBS in the, I think, early aughts. And apparently they're also working on a reboot of Robocop as a series, which also not the first time, and
0: a uh, Barbershop series. Well, I do like Barbershop. Okay, as always, we close out with what's been keeping us busy over the last week. And I just finished reading a book by Agatha Christie called Partners in Crime. You probably have heard of Hercule Poirot and you've probably heard of... Miss Marple, but you may not have heard of her Tommy and Tuppence books. I started reading Agatha Christie when I was probably eight years old and have loved her ever since and read every single book that was at the library. I didn't know about Tommy and Tuppence until recently. They're a husband and wife detective agency. You might think that it was a copycat of The Thin Man, but it was not. They came first. It's amusing. It's very fluffy, light, fun, and I highly recommend it. Quick and easy read. Raul, how about you?
2: Just want to say that's a very timely recommendation as they just released the trailer to the next Hercule Poirot movie, A Haunting in Venice this week. And that's, right. uh, that's getting us all back into the Agatha Christie vibe again. That's right. So let me tell you about the Lazarus heist. I'm actually surprised that when I listened to season one of this podcast, I didn't mention it on our podcast way back when. This is a podcast that looks at the Lazarus Group, a cybercrime group out of North Korea. Season one focused on the Lazarus Group's theft of millions of dollars from the Central Bank of Bangladesh and also touched on the famous Sony hack, which apparently was perpetrated by the Lazarus Group. It was a fascinating look behind the scenes at North Korea and international financial crime. It's an incredibly well-made, well-researched and well-produced podcast, although that wouldn't be a surprise since it actually comes from the BBC World Service. I really wasn't expecting there to be a season two, so I was delighted to see new episodes showing up in my podcast feed. It seems the Lazarus Group is still going strong and now they're stealing billions of dollars from banks around the world to prop up the failing regime in North Korea. What shocks me most is the fact that This is billions of dollars. If someone walked into a bank with a gun and held everyone up and stole billions of dollars, we'd be hearing about that on the news. And yet these are stories that I hadn't heard about. The current season is ongoing. You can find it on any podcast subscription service, and I strongly recommend it. It's very
0: well done. And Tim, what's been keeping you busy? Uh, I had a pretty crazy
1: week, but I will toss a mention to Grim Dawn, a action role-playing game kind of in style of Diablo because I can't play Diablo games anymore because I'm still waiting for Blizzard to clean their house, even though Diablo Four is slated for later this year. Uh, anyway, it's your basic shoot monster. Monster drops shiny things. Pick up shiny things, which gives you better equipment to kill harder monster to you know get more shiny things. It's got a pretty decent, cool art style. It has some distinct classes and combinations. You make interesting builds with their ability trees that it offers. So if there's some decent customization. There's a story, but it's also almost too to the to the game. You just want to to destroy all all the monsters, to collect the shiny things, to, to kill more monsters. It frequently goes on sale for probably like 10 bucks for the base game and the two expansions they released, usually during the big Steam sales. Grab it then, you'll get dozens of hours out of it. And that's certainly worth the cost at, at that price. If you're just looking for something
0: fun. And David, how about you? So yeah, we already brought it up. I watched
3: Ghosted. I know that there's been some divisive opinion about it, but I like star power in films. I always have. My favorite movie ever is To Catch a Thief. And there's just something to be said for me about You know, I don't really call them romantic comedies, just people in unusual settings who happen to fall in love along the way, and Ghosted has both a great premise and a lot of fun. There is a cameo scene that is so ridiculous, so ridiculous. I've been meaning to show it to Kim. It it is a lot of fun in its absurdity. This isn't a film that takes itself seriously, and it shouldn't be, but I highly recommend it, and I know that one of our absolute favorite people in the world listens to this podcast, and she hated the film, so... Not everyone loves it, but I happen to think that it was really, really nice. Oh, and I beat Resident Evil. Ha!
0: Yes, he did. Thank you for listening to Streaming Into the Void. Please consider subscribing via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we welcome your feedback. Remember that we're on social media at Streaming Void and online at StreamingVoid.com. If you like what you're hearing, please consider becoming a supporter on Patreon at Patreon.com streamingvoid Be sure to watch for us again next week.